Have there been any kids practicing speaking Greek this week? No? I think I might have one or two who've been practicing. I have Kaylina and Juliet are going to come forward and help me. All right, girls. I know you've both been practicing. So we're going to come stand over here. I'm going to stand behind you. I will hold the mic. And we need to face that direction right there, okay? I'm going to hold the mic between you, and you repeat after me. Say it nice and loud. Look in that direction. Devona. Devona. Noriso. Tan Cristo. Tan Cristo. Okay, have a seat. Did I hear someone out here call? Oh, I'm so glad you came again. Maranatha. As you know, I'm here in Rome under house arrest, and it's one of the nicer prisons I've stayed in. Not every jail has a courtyard. Well, I guess they're not designed for comfort. I don't expect to be here very long. As you know, Emperor Nero is not known for stability, but I pray for him that God will guide him to a knowledge of himself and that he will gain wisdom to lead the nation well. How God will do that? Well, nothing's impossible for him, I guess. All my life I've lived to please God. Even as a boy, I strive, I strive to keep all of the commandments of the law. I tried to honor my mother and father. I did honor my mother and father. Kept the law as I understood it to the best of my ability. As a student, I learned what it meant to study Torah and I embraced the holiness of Torah and tried to convince other people to live to please God by following the commands of God as well. But I do know, looking back, that I probably could have understood the whole truth much sooner than I did God was patient with me and very compassionate and kind. I lived as an enemy of Jesus for so many years, I, I didn't know any better. But after Stephen was stoned and after he was killed, well, the Christians in that area were scattered around the region. And I just looked at that as sort of the spread of an infection. I couldn't handle the idea that these these Christians in their new way of thinking would pervert and infect the pure way we had of worshiping God, which was tied to Moses' law. So I did everything I could to frustrate them, to hinder them, to make their lives more difficult. In fact, it was on one particular adventure where I had gone to the high priest and gotten letters of indictment against Christians up in Damascus that some unusual things happened to me. Damascus, as you know, is... Uh, maybe 10 days, two weeks of a foot journey from Jerusalem north. And my companions and I were traveling on that road, and we were nearly to the city when suddenly this bright light flashed from heaven, and I was just knocked to the ground. It was completely unexpected. I didn't know what was happening, and I just laid there, face in the dirt, and then I heard a voice crying out to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I had no idea. 
who was speaking. I had never experienced anything like this in my entire life. I answered, Lord, who are you? Seemed like a reasonable question to me. And the response from heaven came back, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and you will be told exactly what you must do. My companions heard the voice. They didn't know what happened. I, I couldn't see when I stood. I had no appetite for days. They led me into the city, and, and what I didn't know, well, was things were going to unfold in a very unusual way. As I walked into the city, it seemed ironic to me that me, a person who knew what was best for everyone, who tried to convince everyone else to do what I thought was best, who thought that they could see perfectly well all the time, was now blind. And perhaps I didn't see things as clearly as I ought to have seen them. Well, at the same time all this was happening to me, the Lord was speaking to someone else. And in a vision, a man named Ananias was told by God, Ananias, get up, go to a street called Straight, and you will find there a man of Tarsus called Saul. Lay your hands on him and pray for him. The voice told Ananias that, that Saul actually had a vision of him coming. And, and Saul, me, I, also, I had a vision of what would happen when Ananias laid his hands on me. But Ananias knew of my reputation, and he was afraid. He said, Lord, we know this guy, Saul. He has done evil to your people everywhere. We know why he's coming. He has orders from the high priest to imprison us. It's too risky for me, and the Lord said, Ananias, go, go. He is my chosen instrument to witness to my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and even before his own people. Jesus said to Ananias, I myself will tell him how much he must suffer for my name. What could Ananias do? He came, found me, found my companions, laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And when he prayed for me, even though I was blind, I hadn't eaten in three days, something like scales fell off my eyes and I understood exactly what was going on. My appetite returned, I was strengthened, I was immediately baptized and began to preach the good news all over Damascus that Jesus was the Son of God. And I explained from the scriptures how it was true that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. When Ananias placed his hands on me, the Holy Spirit filled me. When I look back on all that, I realize I was all talk and no listen. But in spite of that, 
Jesus called my name. I've seen it many times since then. The Spirit of God coming on people and, and setting them aside for service, calling them to specific tasks, empowering them to do amazing things because of the Spirit of God in them. I, I've seen it many times. I wonder, have, have you seen this Spirit work that way in the lives of people around you? Have, have you ever been given a task by the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it means for the Spirit to fill you and to, to surrender your life completely to the Holy Spirit of God so that he can use you in amazing and marvelous ways? Many people figured out much more quickly than I did. You know, with the call of God comes the power of God to accomplish that call. And I wonder at times if the disciples back on the day of Pentecost felt the same way about that experience as I did about my experience in Damascus. I mean, I think we know that the 11 disciples and the rest that were gathered in that upper room were pretty clueless until the day of Pentecost. I mean, they had walked with Jesus they saw him after the crucifixion. They saw the resurrected Jesus. He talked to them, but they still didn't understand what was going on. It isn't until the Holy Spirit comes and gives them power and gives them direction, who identifies a target for them, gives them all these languages to speak so that they can communicate to the world that they finally figure out that this Holy Spirit enables them to do the work of Jesus. And they finally put all of that together. It took the coming of the Spirit to make a difference. They should have known because they had a promise. Jesus had told them, go into the city and wait until the counselor comes, and when he comes, you will receive power to be my witnesses all over the whole world. That was the promise Jesus gave them. And so you would think they could have put two and two together, but I'm not one to judge. I could never put two and two together either. But when the Spirit comes, he gives us power. He certainly gave me power to do everything he called me to do. Life by the Spirit is the only way forward. It's the only way we can do the things he calls us to do. Now, I hope you don't hear me say that when the Spirit comes, it makes life easy. Life isn't easy. Look back at my life. I've been imprisoned. I've been flogged. I've been near death. Five times I've had the 40 lashes minus one given by the Jews. Three times I was beaten by rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night adrift in the sea. I've experienced dangers on every conceivable front. I've been in dangers on journeys in ba by bandits, in rivers, by my own people, by other people, by the Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the wilderness. I've been in danger in the sea. 
I've been in danger from false brothers. I've been endangered. I've endured toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger. I've endured thirst. I've been cold. I've been naked. I've had to struggle under the pressure of the care of all the churches I've witnessed to. The Holy Spirit doesn't make life easy. The Holy Spirit makes life possible and meaningful and productive. Looking back from this point of view, I sort of think this is the the center of the Corinthian problem. You know the church in Corinth. What they wanted was some ecstatic experience of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't understand that the Holy Spirit wasn't given to give them ecstasy. The Holy Spirit was given to make them productive and useful and powerful as witnesses to the glory of the risen Christ. The Spirit comes to make us useful, to give us purpose. Sometimes I'm a little reluctant to tell the story of what happened to me on that road to Damascus, and I'll tell you why. It's not that I'm embarrassed at all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that I'm embarrassed about what he did, but my fear is, is that every young man or woman who comes along will think that unless some bright light from heaven knocks them down, they haven't had a real experience with God. But I should have known a lot sooner the truth of the situation. And I shouldn't have needed a bright light from heaven to knock me to my feet and make me blind to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Stephen told the truth straight up. The witness to Jesus was everywhere around me. I could have known. But like blinders, the law had me so focused on my performance that I just wouldn't hear the truth about Jesus. And so I tell you, don't seek a Damascus Road experience. Don't don't seek any kind of experience. Seek God. And open your hearts to Him. Surrender your life to Him. And He will fill you with His Spirit and make you productive and useful and give you a confidence that your life has meaning. And you will see God work through you. He is our confidence. He is our security. With God in us, when we are weak, we are strong. You know, we carry around in us the treasure of the gospel in very fragile clay vessels. And when we are broken, when we are injured, when we are insulted, when the vessel starts to crumble or decay, the treasure inside leaks out of us. And if what what is inside of us is the Holy Spirit, then it's the glory of God that seeps out from the cracks and the pain and the injuries of our lives. And God receives glory even in our weakness, even in our mistakes, even in our tragedies. If it's the spirit in us that is our treasure, then God 
will be glorified regardless of what happens to us. Our lives are witnesses to his glory, to his kindness, to his patience. And that's why I say nothing is impossible with God. Is the Spirit of God calling to you? Have you responded to his call? I pray that you will have a blessed Pentecost, that you will know the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit's presence, that in his presence, the distractions, the pains and difficulties of the world might fade into their proper perspective. And because of the glory of God resident in you, you will be filled with an indescribable joy at being a child of God. For with him, nothing is impossible. Maranatha.